Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel is the last of what we call in the scripture the major prophets. We're going to begin the minor prophets next week, but that doesn't mean they're any less important. It just means the books that they wrote or the letters they wrote are not as big. So Daniel will be the last major prophet and it's a very interesting book. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Daniel was a contemporary with Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zerubbabel. I remind you that when uh, Nebuchadnezzar took over Judah and attacked Jerusalem for the first time, the first group of people that he took out, Daniel was in that group. Daniel and his friends were in that group. And then about 10 or 11 years later, he came a second time. Ezekiel was in that group. And then he leveled a place in 586 B.C., years after that. Uh, Daniel lived to be about 90 years old. And 72 of those years, he was in captivity. Probably when the Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem under Cyrus, Daniel was probably too old to go. And so he lived out most of his life in the Babylonia, in Babylon. He was, prominent, he was prominent not only in the Babylonian and Persian kingdoms, and he held offices under Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. And I've given you some of my notes there that will show you that the first chapter really is the history of Daniel, and then chapters two through seven, you see these dreams which are really prophetic plan for the Gentiles. He saw long before the Greeks and the Persians and all came, he saw all of that in the Romans. And then chapters 8 through 12 are the prophetic plan for Israel. There's a lot in the book of Daniel that has not taken place. Now you need to understand that the book of Daniel in the Old Testament is like the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And you have to have the book of Daniel to completely understand the book of Revelation. And you have to have revelation to understand the book of Daniel. So they go together. But there's a lot of prophecy there that is yet to be fulfilled. And I wish I had time to do all of that this morning. But I want to look at chapter 1. Chapter 1 and and talk to you about living in a godless culture. We are slowly, actually picking up speed, becoming a godless culture. And if Christians don't stand up and live for Christ and take a stand, especially in the voting box, we're going to lose our culture. These verses are set during the captivity, which you can read about in 2 Kings 24 and 2 Chronicles 36. And there were two sins that caused the judgment to come to Judah. The first one is they completely ignored God's word. Because God told them every seven years, I want you to have a Sabbath in the land. I want you to let the land rest every seven years. Don't cultivate it, let it rest. I'll take care of you. But they didn't do it. And for 490 years, they just completely 
didn't observe it, ignored it. And so God sent them into captivity for every Sabbath for the land that they ignored, which was 70 years. Now, the second reason that God sent them to Babylon was because they could not keep their hands and their and their interest and their following to all the pagan gods around them. God kept telling them, I am the Lord your God. No, there is no other God. And yet he, they kept following the pagan gods, the gods of Baal, the gods of all kinds of pagans. And finally, God said, all right, you know what? If you're gonna follow the pagan gods, I'm gonna send you to the capital city of idolatry, which was Babylon. That's where the idolatrous religion started. It's in Babylon. And so God, just to put it in blunt terms, rubbed their nose in it for 70 years. He said, you want to see what it's like? I'm going to let you live there. Well, did you know it's interesting that after the Jews returned to Jerusalem after 70-year captivity, did you know Israel has never followed false gods again? They follow Jehovah God. Now, some, a lot of them don't even believe in God. Some of them are atheists, but the ones who do, they don't follow false gods anymore. They must have gotten the message. Of course, they don't know Jesus yet, but they will. Some of them will eventually. Verse two refers to the land of Shinar. Now, I'm going to read all of these verses as I, t as I come to them just for the sake of time. And before I begin reading here, uh, you're gonna see three kings. Three kings, Jehoiakim and his depravity. Jehoiakim was the Jewish king at the time of Judah, and he was a godless man. He didn't have any reverence for the things of God. In fact, they brought a scroll to him one time, and he took a knife and cut it up and threw it in the fire. And when he died, he did not have a royal burial. They threw him out on the city dump. Bible says he had the burial of a donkey, but he was depraved. You're going to see the name Nebuchadnezzar and his cruelty. Now, Nebuchadnezzar comes to know God. As you read through Daniel, you're actually going to see some of his testimony. But beginning, he was a powerful military strategist, a marvelous builder, but he was cruel. He would take young people from the countries that he, he conquered and he would take them back. And, and some he made eunuchs and made them serve him in a foreign land. And then... There's a king that you're probably going to skip over who is Jehovah, God, and his sovereignty because it says the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the sovereignty of God, God is the one who puts people in power. God is, or allows them to be in power. And since Daniel and his friends were of the royal family in Jerusalem, they were taken first in the deportation of the Jews 800 miles away to the city of Babylon. And we can learn several truths from this chapter. Let's begin by reading the first three verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, that is the temple, which he carried, Nebuchadnezzar carried into the land of Shinar, Babylon, to the house of his God, little g, God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. 
Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. The first truth that you want to look at or I want you to see is living in a godless culture, there's going to be a difficult time. And it's difficult to trust God when your world falls apart. Sooner or later, you're going to have a difficult time in your life. You may call your world crashing in, your world falling apart. But here, Daniel grew up a good Jewish boy in Jerusalem, had the temple, learned the word of God, had believing parents. And suddenly the nation is conquered by a foreign enemy and he's carried hundreds of miles away and now he's forced to live in a different place, totally different culture, a different language, a different environment, different people, different food. And they've told him, you're going to become a new person here. You're going to become one of us. And can you imagine going to a totally new culture? Some of you may have had the experience when you were growing up of of your parents moved and you had to go to a new school. That was awkward enough, wasn't it? But can you imagine being plucked from home and taken to a whole new culture? I doubt seriously any of you have come to a whole new culture unless... You just moved to West Texas from a different state. It may seem like another culture here. But it's not a bad culture. These are great people, and you're going to fit in well. But the question is, Daniel could have gotten bitter at the Babylonians. He could have gotten bitter at his own people and Jehoiakim because it was their sin that caused this to happen in the first place. He could have gotten bitter at God. The question is, can you trust God when your world falls apart? Because a lot of times, people who say they follow the Lord and follow God, when their world begins to fall apart, they get mad at God. Or they get mad at someone else. And on those days when everything seems to be crumbling in and you don't think you're going to make it, you have the choice to trust God or, or not. And that's the choice they had. Well, let's go on. Look at verse four. He took young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of, tra- three years of training for them so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He named Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now let's stop right there for a moment. I want you to notice something that's going on here. This is a, there's a dangerous tendency in our culture, a dangerous tendency to compromise, to conform. You're, you're going to see some cultural brainwashing here. What happened to Daniel 2,600 years ago still going on today. It still is relevant today. Because teenagers and college students and adults and children, we're living in a godless culture. It's becoming more and more godless 
day by day. It's in the music we listen to. It's in the television shows. It's in the movies you see. It's in the magazines you read. It's even in the secular education at points. The culture is trying to immerse you and brainwash you. It's going on right now. And so many people are being brainwashed. And I'm gonna show you here in a moment how. But there's a tendency to conform. Somebody starts a new slogan and everybody picks it up. Somebody starts wearing weird stuff and everybody dresses weird. Kind of reminds me of a girl who went to high school and she walked in one day, she had a bright red sock on one and a, and a bright blue sock on the other one. And she passed the principal in the hall and he said, why are you wearing two different color socks? And she said, because I'm an individualist. I dress the way I dress because that's me. I am not influenced by society. Besides, all the girls are doing it right now. Well, it seems like every time something new trend comes along, we jump on the bandwagon. Nebuchadnezzar was pretty shrewd. You see, he knew that if he could take teenagers and change their minds and their hearts, he'd have them from now on. Folks, the values and decisions that you make as a teenager can determine the rest of your life. I've been back to one high school reunion. I'm not ever going back. I waited till the 40th reunion to go. And I thought, by now, surely by now, some of those immature kids that used to treat us so meanly, and especially a preacher's kid like me, you know, surely they're going to be grown-up adults and we can carry on a classic conversation, an adult conversation. They hadn't changed a bit. I'm serious. That I thought, you got to be kidding me. The decisions you're making as a teenager can affect the rest of your life. That's why we invest the money we do to, in our children's and teenage areas because we want their hearts to come to Christ then because if they do then, it's going to influence the rest of their life. Well, Nebuchadnezzar knew that and so he took these three Hebrew guys or four Hebrew guys Daniel and the three friends and they weren't being persecuted or tortured. In fact, they were invited to eat at the king's table. I mean, this isn't cafeteria food that we had in school, folks. There was no mystery meat here. That's what we used to call, we always knew when somebody was visiting the campus because the food got pretty good for a couple of days in the cafeterias at college, but... But I mean, he's eating at the, they're eating at the king's table and this is, a, this is a sign of privilege. Joseph, for example, honored his brothers when they came to Egypt after Joseph had been elevated. He fed his brothers at his table, uh, Genesis 43, 34. And then David had a place for Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, at his table in 2 Samuel 9. So the, the Hebrew captives were given opportunity to eat the king's table every meal. It wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar was trying to make them bad. He just said, we want you to just become one of us. And that's what the world does. The world can't tempt you and me just to become bad. But the world can lead us in a way that before you know it, we become assimilated in the, in the culture and we're no longer a light in the world that Jesus intended for us to be. 
Now, I have shared this several times with graduating seniors when we have a senior night here, and I will share, share these next three points with them, but I think it does, does us well to be reminded that basically there are three points of crisis right here in these verses. And the first is the authority question. What is truth? They were enrolled in a curriculum that would introduce them to the Chaldean culture. They were going to be subjected to academic, philosophical, and religious ideas of a godless civilization and foreign theories. They were going to be taught astronomy. The Chaldeans excelled in astronomy. They were going to be taught astrology developed by the Babylonians, superstition, Y'all know the difference. Astronomy is studying the stars. Astrology, you think the stars determine how you live. Like the zodiac, that's a bunch of baloney. Stars don't tell you how to live. That's a Greek word you need to learn, baloney. <laughs> the truth is, the, the, the fact is, what is truth? There is a such thing as absolute truth. Now, you ask that question, what is truth? There have been philosophers who have struggled with it for centuries. And, and, and I would say a, a majority of us in here probably grew up in a Christian home where our moms and dads taught us this is right, this is wrong. It was probably supported through Sunday school teachers, this is right, this is wrong. And then you probably heard the preaching of God's word, this is wrong, this is right, this is what God wants, and so forth. And then you go off and you, and you go to school and, and somebody begins to say, well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, just because that's, your parents said it's right doesn't mean it's right. They begin to get you to question everything, and the next thing you know, you have people saying, well, what's true for you may not be true for me. But folks, I want you to know there is absolute truth. It's God's word. Amen. And whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but it's still God's word whether you believe it or not. And it's still absolute truth whether you believe it or not. In America, we're, 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 we're having a tsunami come. It's been coming a long time. It's getting closer and closer and closer that there's no absolute truth. Now, I'm not gonna, I don't mean to sound ugly. I'm passionate, but I'm not being ugly. I'm still full of grace and mercy, and God can change, and I know how mean I would be if I didn't know Jesus. I'm mean enough, and I do know Jesus. But I, but I know, I, I just know, I, I don't want you to take this wrong, but, but one of the biggest dangers we face today is that truth is being torn down. And here's a statement worth remembering. People who hate the truth look at the truth as hate. Because if we stand on the truth, they think you're being hateful. Barna Research Group, Christian Research Group, survey of Christian adults. 64% believe moral truth depends on the situation. 60% believe that male-female cohabitation outside of marriage is acceptable. Living together is okay. 55% believe a good person 
55%, a good person can earn their salvation. 44% believe that Jesus Christ committed sins while on the earth. There's a tsunami coming. What's the biggest sin our culture says you can commit? Intolerance. You stand up as a Christian and you make the statement that I believe the Bible, that I believe homosexuality, I believe fornication, I believe sex outside of marriage, I believe pornography. That's all sin according to the word of God. And you're going to be labeled a bigot. You stand up and say, I believe abortion is taking innocent life, that it is a person, that, that, that it's, it's a person that's being killed, and you're going to be called an intolerant bigot. You, you say something like Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. He's the only person that could, could bring God and man together. He's the God-man. He's the mediator between all between God and man. You say he's the only way to be saved. You're going to be called an intolerant bigot because some believe Muhammad, some believe Buddha, some believe all kinds of stuff. We don't have to be hateful about it, but I want you to understand there is absolute truth. And are we going to believe God's word? Are we going to believe what the culture tells us? Let me pause for a moment and tell you that we need to be praying right now that this Equality Act does not pass. Now, it sounds good, equality. I'm all for equality, but not this. Because I want to tell you something. If it passes in the Senate, it's going to affect the church. There's no, they're not going to let you hide behind freedom of religion anymore. To say stuff... I'm going to say it anyway. To say stuff like, well, I'll give you an example of what this Equality Act will do. I get up one morning and I decide I'm going to, what am I, I'm, I'm going to um, think I'm a woman. Forgotten the word I'm looking for. So I can go into women's restrooms. I don't have to prove that to you. I don't have to prove it to anybody. I'm telling you to tell me that you can be neither male nor female. I, I, I'm not sounding ugly, but folks, there's no such thing. I, I'm, I'm serious. You can think what you want. I can think I'm a mule. Some people think I am. But I'm not. Please, I, and I don't mean to sound hateful. I'm just tired. I'm just tired of this nonsense going on. I'm, I'm for if people, you know what? If, if you relate as a transgender person and you go into the hospital and you're sick, they need to treat you for whatever it is. They don't need to discriminate against you. You need to be treated for sick. If you got the flu, we'll treat you for the flu. But this, this thing goes way beyond that. And I'm not going to spend the rest of the time talking about it, but you need to be praying that the Senate does not pass this. Seriously. Just investigate it yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Look for yourself and, and see how deep it goes. But see, we're still dealing with the moral truth. We're dealing with the truth issue. The second point of crisis is the identity question. Who am I? How, who am I? You see, did you notice what he did? These three Jewish boys, 
teenagers had names that related to Jehovah God. Daniel, for example, his name means God is judge, Jehovah. But they changed his name to Belshazzar, a servant of Baal. Hananiah, his name means Jehovah is gracious. They gave him the name Shadrach, which means the command of the moon god, Venice. Mishael, who is like Jehovah or God. Meshach, who is like Aku, one of the heathen gods. And then Azariah, Jehovah is my helper. They gave him the name Abednego, servant of Nego, which is a heathen god. So he wanted to erase all traces of his Christian background and and say, you know what, you're not going to relate to your God, you're going to relate to our God. And the question is, am I willing to be called a Christian in this culture? Am I willing to stand up and say, I'm a born-again believer, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in his word, and if you're willing to stand up and unashamedly say, I am a Bible-believing Christian, you're going to be labeled as a vast right-wing conspiracist. You're going to be called names. See, a cultural Christian, a cultural American Christian just blends in perfectly. It's just watered down nothing. But there comes a time when you can no longer go with the flow. And if you're a born-again believer, there's going to come a time when you're going to stand out because you can't go with where the culture's going. Who are you? Are you a believer? Are you a child of God and not ashamed of it? I'm not saying be arrogant, not saying being obnoxious. We don't want to turn people off. But why is it they want us, the Bible-believing believers, why do they want us to always change? Amen. When we have the truth. Come on. And like most Baptists, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Not on that issue anyway. I just will be moved on that issue. There's a third point of crisis. It's a morality question. How will I live? Now King Nebuchadnezzar says, you guys come here. I'm going to be your new authority. I've given you new names. I want you to eat my food. You're going to drink my wine. I'm your boss. And then Daniel has to decide, am I going to act the way the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, wants me to act, or am I going to follow the king of heaven, God? You say, well, now, wait a minute. Eating and drinking, that's a minor issue. Well, not really. Not here. Because all of the meat, all of the meat in the Babylonian, at least at the king's table, had been offered to pagan gods. And to eat that meat was to acknowledge that pagan god. And so Daniel said, no, I'm not going to acknowledge your god by eating this meat. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? And so Daniel was faced with the decision, I'm going to live how God wants me to live or I'm going to go with the culture. It's been so easy. You're 800 miles from home, nobody will know. You see, we live in a culture that is morally collapsing. We've got technology, we've got finances, we're prosperous, but morally and spiritually, we are bankrupt because we've taken God out of everything. 
And you can't expect the Constitution to work if you take God out of everything. And so, I'll give you an example. A CNN poll, a CNN, I don't like to quote CNN. I don't like CNN. But just to give you, just to be fair, a CNN poll given to Americans asked their attitude about the Ten Commandments. 64% of Americans said they would steal if they knew they could get away without getting caught. When it came to lying, 74% of Americans said they would lie under certain circumstances. You may be in a job that one day asks you to do something that's unethical or illegal. What are you going to do? You see, when you're living in a godless culture, there's going to come a time of crisis, whether it's who you're going to believe, the truth, whether it's who you are as a Christian or how you're going to live morally. So you see, it's a difficult time. His, his, his world has fallen apart. It's a dangerous time because there's a tendency to be culturally brainwashed or to conform, to compromise, to conform. But now I want you to see, beginning in verse eight, a definite temperament. Purity in the midst of moral decay. Look at verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He requested. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who was appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let's give us, give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days... When the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them or inquired of them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were all in his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. We live based on our decisions. You make decisions every day. Some of them are not major decisions. Some of you decided you'd get out of bed this morning, come to church. I'm glad you did. 
We make, we make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions every day. And our decisions determine how we're going to live. And Daniel had a decision to make. And I want you to notice several things about this decision. First of all, it was a hard and heart decision. When you stand individually, Daniel, purposed in his heart, I'm going to stand, I'm, I, he, he's not going to dishonor God. Daniel made a decision in his own heart. It was something between him and the Lord. Here's a statement worth remembering. Before Daniel could say no to the king, he had to say yes to God. If you say yes to God, I will serve you, I will follow you, then he will give you the strength to say no to the culture. I'm not going this way with you as a culture. Well, in spite of the pressures brought to bear on him, there were all kinds of pressures. There was peer pressure, there was cultural pressure, there was fear pressure. Daniel still chose to honor the Lord and he made up his mind that he was gonna do what God wanted and there's abundant evidence that Daniel knew the scriptures. But it's also interesting that his decision influenced other people. Because in verse 10, it says, the prince of the eunuchs replied to Daniel and said, for why should he, the king, see your faces, plural? Daniel's decision influenced other people. You never make a decision. Well, you never make big decisions that don't influence other people. You see, we're living in a culture that's saying, look, you have the right to live any way you want to. That sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not true. Because you may live like you want to, but you can't help but influence other people, whether good or bad. If I decide I'm going to live any, any gender I want to, well, I have the right to go off and live how I want, but when I start going into the opposite gender's restrooms or being in their sports or whatever else, then I'm affecting other people. Your decisions affect other people. It can be good. You stand for Jesus where you work. There may be another believer in that place that's gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna stand for the Lord too. He influenced his friends. I think personally that it was so influential that when you read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three hot Hebrews, <laughs> actually they were not hot. They were in a hot spot, but they were not hot in that hot spot. I believe partly because they had decided many years, even before, that they're going to honor the Lord. You see, it takes a thousand times more guts to go against the flow than it does to go with everybody else. It's hard, it's hard. And I'm not gonna tell you that standing for Christ, standing for the Lord is not gonna cost you something, because it will. There's a second thing about this decision, and please hear this one. It's a humble decision. He requested. He didn't come in there belligerently and say, look, you know good so-and-so, I'm a believer, and I'm not gonna do anything you tell me to do. No, he came to the prince of the eunuchs, Ashpenaz, and requested that he not defile himself. He came with humility. 
We can take a stand. We can be unyielding, but we don't have to be hateful about it. We don't want to turn people off from Christianity. Folks, do you realize that non-Christians, people without Jesus, are not going to act like Christians? Do y'all know that? And the problem we got in this nation is that the majority of this nation is not Christian. So these people are going to act like they're lost. Now, we don't have to go along with them, and we can stand, and when it comes to some of these issues, we need to take a stand, but we want to bring them to Christ. Have you ever thought about where you would be today if you didn't know Jesus? The prince of the eunuchs did what most people would do. He made his decision based on what he thought King Nebuchadnezzar would do to him. He said, if, you guys, if I do this with you guys and, uh, and you don't turn out as good as the rest of them, then it's my head that's on the chopping block. And so Daniel said, well, how about an alternative? And, and you read where he said, just test us for 10 days. And that's what they did. And God honored that. They brought those young men in and they looked in their eyes and they were clearer than rest of the rest of the people. And they looked in their faces and they were more radiant than the rest of them. Their posture was erect. Their muscles were strong. Their countenance was different. I want to tell you something. It pays to serve the Lord. It pays to serve the Lord. He will honor, which is the last thing. It was an honored decision. How did God honor Daniel and his friends? It says in verse 14, or actually it's a little further down, Verse 17, that in that three-year period, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They were brought in. The king looked at them. After three years, he looked at them and gave them a test, and they were at the top of their class. In fact, they were all put in the area of advising the king. Isn't that interesting? Pagan king, God puts him right up there to advise. And verse 19 says, he inquired of them. King Nebuchadnezzar did. See, God gave them wisdom. Knowledge is one thing. Knowledge is the acquisition of facts, but wisdom is being able to take that and put it into real life. Taking the things of God and putting it in real life. Daniel became an interpreter of dreams. Of course, you know the story. You're going to read about it. Later, later in his life, he gets thrown in the den of lions because of some shenanigans that some of the other people that wanted his position pulled. But do you think if there had not been Daniel in a dining room, there had ever been Daniel in a lion's den? At least Daniel in a lion's den would have been a lot shorter story. You see, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this, miss this either. Look at verse 21. It says, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Cyrus is the Persian king. Cyrus is the one who gave the decree after 70 years to let the, the uh, Jews go back to Jerusalem. And it's very possible, we can't prove it, but it's very possible that one of Daniel's last official acts was to prepare the papers to release them from Babylonian captivity to go back to Jerusalem. Daniel was too old to go back. My question to you today is, I know we're living in a godless culture and it's getting worse by the day. It is. 
Um, you and I see the issues clearly because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We can see right and wrong. We can see the stupidity and wisdom. We see it all. And some of the decisions that are made, I, I don't want to get any, I don't want to get any, I don't want children to be upset, but some of the decisions that are made today are just downright stupid. Amen. They are. And, and I don't understand it because, because the Holy Spirit says, you, you know the right, you know the difference between right and wrong. But the day's coming, the day's coming when they're going to try to silence you and me. Well, they're in for a rude awakening because we're not going to be silent. You know what? You can't kill me. You can't kill me. You can send me home, but you can't kill me. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you the day's coming. It's time for us to be lights in a world of darkness. The, the world's getting darker. And the only lights are you and me. And we're going to live in a godless culture. We need to remember who we are. We need to stand on the truth. We need to make the right choices. We need to influence others. And it's going to be hard. But God will honor it. If you don't know Jesus... I don't understand why you haven't come to Christ already because God says, I love you so much. I, I put all this stuff in the way to keep you from going to hell. I've given you the Bible. I've given you the church. I've given you praying believers. I put all of this stuff in the way because I love you, because I want you. Why, why would God want us? I don't know. But he loves us enough to die for us. And for those of you who don't know Jesus today, you can give your life to Christ right now. And for those of us who are believers, we're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be ugly. Don't be belligerent. Don't turn people off. Because you know what? You will not meet a person that Jesus can't change. Amen. You and me included. Amen. So when you look at them through the eyes of lost people, you can be a lot more loving and tolerant and patient. Doesn't mean you're going to let her, we're not going to let them run over us and they're not going to make us do things contrary to the word of God. But I think the days are coming that more and more we're going to have to decide, am I going to follow what God wants? I choose the Lord. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? For those of you who don't know Jesus, I want you to understand how much God loves you and God wants you. If you'll turn from your sin, come to him. Say, God, I ask you to forgive me. He'll do it. I believe in my heart that Jesus paid the price for my sin. The wages of sin is death. He died for me. He rose again. Lord Jesus, I trust you with my life. I want you to come into my life. Lord, I pray for those who need Jesus. I, pr I pray, God, that you would show them right now how you're inviting them to come. They still can choose yes or no. I pray that they would come to you now. Even watching online, I, if they're watching here, I pray, God, they'd come to you. I lift up those believers who need a little courage at work. Help them to stand when they need to in a loving way. But since they've said yes to you, be able to say no to sin I pray for those who need a church 
Lord, it's amazing to me how you, you brought 16 people this week to this church to be members. I, it's amazing to me how you just keep bringing people here. Thank you for those that keep coming and those that want to serve and those that support your work. And I pray for those that need to be baptized, to be obedient, to follow you in baptism. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We know that we're all going to be faced with choices. Help us to be as bold as Daniel and as wise and as loving and as humble as him. But help us to stand for truth. I pray for those people who are wondering what truth is. Help them to come to your word. And Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. I pray, I pray for those that need Christ today. If you're watching this online, if you'll hit that connect button or if you'll text the word living hope, one word, no space, living hope to 474747. Fill out that information. We will call you on the telephone. You can do that in here. You can use that card that's in the seat pocket in front of you or you can, you can text living hope to 474747. Fill out that information, put your prayer request, we will get it. Or after we're dismissed, you can meet us here at the front. We'll be glad to visit with you. We'll have our mask on. We'll talk with you about knowing Christ. So Lord, today, I thank you for what you've done. I pray for people coming to you. I thank you for those that are making commitments to stand for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.